because we believe in Him for salvation and trust in Him as our friend, Jesus is able to meet our needs as only one who is fully God and fully human can. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at exactly why we need Jesus and His distinctly dual nature. From the Jesus you may not know, here's David to conclude his message, Is He the Son of Mary or the Son of God? And I want to thank you for joining us. In case you have just joined us, we're in the midst of a study on the Lord Jesus Christ. In the month of December, that seems so appropriate because we celebrate his birth during this month. And we're talking about the Jesus you may not know. When I wrote this book some years ago, I wanted to delve into some of the questions people have about Jesus. And so the book is filled with chapters that are questions. And today we're finishing up our discussion of this question. Jesus, you may not know, is he the son of Mary or is he the son of God? And we'll get to that in just a moment. But first, I want you to know there's a resource package that goes with this series. It includes a full-length major book by the title, The Jesus You May Not Know, a study guide to help you work with the book, and a CD package with all of the audio teaching that you hear on the radio. Go to davidjeremiah.org, and you will find all that material there. You can order it and have it sent right to your home. And during the month of December, when you send a gift to help us close out the calendar year with victory, we want to send you something special that we prepare each year for our viewers and listeners. It's a devotional, leather-covered devotional. I think it's the most beautiful one I've ever seen. And this year, it's called Walking with Jesus. Inside are 366 devotionals. It's leap year, friends. And we've even included one devotional for the 29th of February. So we haven't forgotten anything. And we most of all haven't forgotten the wonderful truth that is available in these devotional readings. These are done to help Prepare you for your devotional time. They're the primary pump to get your mind going in the right direction and help you understand how important it is to focus your attention on the Lord. Ask for your copy of this beautiful devotional when you send your December gift to Turning Point today. Here is part two of Is He the Son of Mary or the Son of God? Here's an astounding thought that I have not had before. Jesus is human, and he always will be. Right now, sitting on the throne of the universe is a human being. When he judges the entire world, he will be human. For all eternity, age after age, God is human and always will be. He didn't just put on human skin like a coat only to take it off again when he got home to heaven. He became a man, heart, soul, mind, strength, a man. Just imagine for a moment how much God must have loved human beings to decide that, yes, he would become a human forever. He had existed for all eternity, the second person of the Trinity, in perfect and harmonious and beautiful relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, and he decided to become human. And he knew when he did it that he would never be not human again. There's only one thing that would lead the Son of God to do that, and that is his deep love for us. You say, are you sure that's true? Think of this for a moment. The disciples are standing watching Jesus go up to heaven 
and this is what they heard. This same Jesus, which you have seen ascending into heaven, this same Jesus will come in like manner as he has gone. When we get to heaven, we'll see Jesus. We'll be able to examine the prints of the nails in his hands and the scar in his side. I don't pretend to understand all the nuances that are involved in that. But Jesus became a man for us. He continues to be a man. And now when we pray, the Bible says he intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. Oh, what a mystery is all of this. He's the son of Mary. Just as Jesus was the son of Mary, so is he the son of God. This is arguably the most important title of Christ in the entire New Testament. It appears more than 40 times, the son of God. In the simplest of terms, son of God is how the New Testament describes Jesus and his relationship to God the Father. It also shows us his divine identity. While Jesus was fully human, he is also fully God. You say, well, I don't understand that. I don't know anything like that. There never has been anything like that. How many of you know Jesus Christ is without precedent? (laughs) There is no one to compare him to. There never will be anyone like him. He is the individual, single, most unique, important person who's ever walked on this earth. He is the individually most notable character that you will ever hear about. There is no one like him. There is no one who's ever been like him. He is the son of God and the son of man fused together in one person for eternity. He is God. When Jesus stilled the storm, with the disciples they were so overcome with amazement and they worshiped him and they convinced that only god could have performed the miracle and they said truly you are the son of god at his trial before the jewish council his opponents charged him with claiming to be the son of god which they recognized as a claim of deity Anyone claiming to be God could be charged with blasphemy and killed. Think of it. The only charge they could ever come up with and make it stick against Jesus was that he claimed to be the Son of God because he was. Even the devil recognizes that Jesus is God. He addressed Jesus as the Son of God, and the demons recognized him as that. When they saw him, they cried out, Matthew 8, 29, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? I wrote in my notes, the demons are smarter than most of the skeptics. (laughs) The demons get it. The theologians who've spent eternity in a seminary sometime never do get it. He's the son of God. Here's a modern-day illustration that might help us. Suppose you meet a man who claims to be the president of the United States. And the fact that military personnel greet him with a salute does not by itself prove his claim. The mere use of the title president, apart from context, is ambiguous. I mean, he could be the president of a corporation or some other country. If all you know is that he signs bills into law, you would not necessarily infer that he was the president of the United States. After all, state governors do that. Even the fact that he lives in the White House would not be enough by itself to prove his claim. But I'll put all these things together in a coherent context. If he lives in the White House at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, is saluted by the Joint Chiefs of Staff, 
regularly sits in the chair behind the president's desk in the Oval Office, responds affirmatively when addressed as Mr. President, and from that chair signs into law federal legislation, he probably is the president of the United States. The situation is much the same with the New Testament evidence for the identity of Jesus Christ. All creatures, even the most glorious angels in heaven, are expected to worship him. He has existed forever. He exerted omnipotence in making the universe, and he continues to do so by sustaining his existence. He goes by the name Lord and also answers to God. He lives in God's home, heaven, and he sits in God's chair, the heavenly throne. And from that position, he sends the Holy Spirit, reveals himself to apostles, guides the church by his divine presence as they complete the mission to tell the whole world that he is Lord and will one day judge all creatures and give eternal life to whomever he chooses. Such a person must, in fact, be God. (laughs) It's not just the one thing. It's everything. Jesus was not only the Son of Man. Jesus was and is the Son of God. And just like that, we are transported to the book of Philippians where we read, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So is he the son of Mary or is he the son of God? Here's one that you will love. He's both. (laughs) There are no wrong answers to that question. He's both. If you accept one, you must accept the other. He cannot be one without the other because if he is one without the other, he destroys what he claims to be. If he is not the son of God, then it doesn't really matter whether he's human or not. If he is not human then we have been lied to, and who cares? He's the Son of God and the Son of Man, and as the Son of God and the Son of Man, we call him Jesus, and he has this unique role in our lives. Some of you may wonder about this whole business of Jesus being fully human and why he did certain things and didn't do other things. I will just explain that to you in the best way that I can in this simple way. When Jesus came to be one of us, he did not lay aside his deity. He did not put it on hold. Here's what he did. He voluntarily determined to not use his abilities, his attributes, for his own purpose. When he came to this earth, he put aside the independent use of his attributes. You say, how do you know that? Well, let me ask you this question. One of his attributes is he's omnipresent. Was Jesus omnipresent when he was here? No, he was absolutely, totally consigned to living in a body in a little place called Jerusalem. Was he still omnipresent? Yes, but he put it aside. He voluntarily determined not to use those attributes while he was here so that he could fully identify with us because guess what? We're not omnipresent. And we're not omniscient. And we're not omnipotent. Here's what I know is so important about why Jesus had to do what he did, why he came, and why this is all so important. First of all, we need Jesus to show us God. How many of you know the Bible says God is a spirit? How many of you know any spirits? Don't tell me. (laughs) 
We don't understand spirits. I mean, we watch TV programs about it, but we don't know anything about really. How, how do you know a spirit? The Bible says that in order for us to know God, we have to know Jesus because Jesus brings God into focus for us. On one occasion, Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, said to Jesus, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus kind of scolded Philip. I love what he said. He said, Philip, have I been with you for so long and you have not known me? Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, I am the God you want to know. I am the Father who can be seen. I am the one who came to show you the Father. When we study Jesus, we're getting to know God, not just because Jesus is God, but because God is Jesus. Jesus is the one who shows us who God is and what God is like. In other words, God gave us Jesus, and now Jesus gives us God. The Bible says in past days, God demonstrated himself to us through the prophets, but now in these last days, he has sent us his son, and his son has come to show us who God is. Number two, we need Jesus to show us God, but we also need Jesus to save us from our sin. Now, that's something we all know, but I want you to know it in a different way today. 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6 says this, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ who gave himself a ransom for all. What Paul said to Timothy is that Jesus Christ came here to do what no other one could ever do. How many mediators are there, class? How many? Somebody says, I don't like the fact that you think Jesus is the only way to heaven. doesn't matter what I think. It matters what the Bible says. Jesus said, I am the way, the life, and the truth. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He is the one way to God. That's what Paul said to Timothy. He's the one mediator and the one God between God and men. In Jesus Christ, we have this perfect and true mediator since he possesses the nature and attributes of God and the nature and attributes of man. He is the God-man and therefore the only one who could righteously and perfectly bring peace to these two warring parties. Jesus himself said that he had come to this earth for this very reason, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now I've told you before that my picture of that is the picture of the cross. We're hanging there between heaven and earth. In my mind, I see him reach up one hand to take hold of the Holy Father and one hand reach down to take hold of us. And he was the only one who could, at the nexus of that cross, bring us together so that we could be saved. Jesus had to come or we couldn't know God. He had to come or we couldn't be saved from our sin because there was no one else who could do it. Number three, we need Jesus to set us free from the fear of death. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since the children, that's us, have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus too, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all of their lives are held in slavery by their fear of death. How that describes so many people you and I know today. Jesus became the son of Mary and he accepted flesh and blood so that he could do what we could never do. He confronted Satan and he destroyed him 
Satan is a defeated and disarmed enemy. One day his sentence will be carried out. 1 John 3, 8 says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. For this reason Jesus came to destroy the devil's works. And the only way he could destroy him was to rob him of his weapon. What is Satan's greatest weapon? It's death. Physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. And when you have a weapon that's more powerful than the weapon of your enemy, and our weapon through Jesus Christ is eternity, you have everything you need to take him down. You know how Jesus took away Satan's power of death? He died and became victorious over it. He walked out of the other side of death, and I don't know if Jesus ever did a high five or anything like that, but that's what I think should happen at that moment. He walked out of death, and on the other side, he had destroyed death. Satan's power over death was totally vitiated. That's why Jesus said, if you believe in me, you'll never die. You'll never die spiritually because Satan's power to do that to you is gone. The Bible says in Psalm 23 that, yea, though I walk through the valley, I always love this, the valley of the shadow of death. You know that Christians, we don't go through death, we go through the shadow of death. Death for Christians is still death physically, but it's totally different. I know that. I've been watching this for 50 years. I've never seen anything different. A Christian dies different than anybody else because we don't experience death. We experience the shadow of death. Donald Gray Barnhouse was driving home from the funeral of his first wife, and his children were overcome with grief. As he sought some word of comfort for his kids, a huge moving van passed them, and its shadow swept over the car. Dr. Barnhouse said, Children, would you rather be run over by a truck or by its shadow? The shadow, of course, said one of the children, It's harmless. And Dr. Barnhouse said, 2,000 years ago, the truck ran over the Lord Jesus so that only its shadow would have to run over us. He is the Savior of the world. For Christian, death is just a shadow. No longer is it the true substance of our fear. It's just a momentary obscuring of the light. We need Jesus to show us God. We need him to save us from our sin. We need Jesus to set us free from death. We need Jesus to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Here's what Hebrews says. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Why was it important for Jesus to become a man? So that he could experience what we experience Have you ever tried to tell somebody your problems and in your heart you knew they didn't have any clue whatsoever what you were talking about? We always come up with, I know how you're feeling. And I have actually said to people when I was going through cancer, no, you don't. If you've not had cancer, you don't know what I'm feeling. So don't give me that pious jargon. You only know what somebody's feeling is if you felt it yourself. Isn't that true? That's why if you've been through something, everything's different. You know, when you go through something, God gives you a ministry you never thought you'd ever have. Now you can really say, I know what you're feeling, and you can help people. Jesus became one of us so that he could sympathize with our weaknesses. I want to say something to you. I hope it will be an encouragement to you. I don't know what you're going through today. I can imagine 
I hear enough during the week to know that it's representative of what we all face. Life is difficult. Life is hard. It's not getting any easier. Can I get a witness? (laughs) But here's what I know that's so wonderfully triumphant for every one of us. There's not anything you're ever going to experience or experiencing now that Jesus doesn't understand. In some way, he's experienced it all. And when you go to him, he's able to sympathize. You know what the word sympathize means? It's a very wonderful word. It means to suffer with, to be with somebody in their suffering. Finally, we need Jesus to strengthen us in times of temptation. I saved this until last because I think it may be the most relevant thing in the list for most of us today because surrounded by temptation on every side or every one of us. Temptation is everywhere. You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. You can't be involved in anything that you are not ultimately brought before temptation all the time. Here's what the Bible says. In all things, Jesus had to be made like his brethren, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. And 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now here's what the Scripture is saying, that in Jesus we have somebody who can help us with our temptation. But here's the problem we have with that. The Bible says that Jesus never sinned. He never yielded to temptation. And I'm saying, how's that supposed to help me? Because that's not my experience. How am I going to get help from somebody who's never sinned? And that doesn't even seem like that would be real temptation if he's never sinned. And in theology, there's a doctrine called the impeccability of Jesus Christ, which says not only Jesus didn't sin, but he couldn't sin. I'm not going to jump into that whole discussion today, but I'm going to tell you that most people don't take these scriptures with any value because they just assume, yeah, well, Jesus could never sin, so he can't help me. So I want to disabuse you of that false thinking. Here's how C.S. Lewis explains it. He said, a silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of the wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply doesn't know what it would have been like an hour later. That's why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. He's the only one who lived through it all, felt every issue of it. He's the only realist among us, said Cicillus. I can trust that he understands my temptation because he's felt way more temptation than I'll ever feel. And he's been victorious. So there you have it. Jesus, the Son of Mary. Jesus, the Son of God. So here's a question. Who is Jesus to you? Amen. To many people, Jesus is just a historic figure. But to those of us who are Christians, he is uh, the Savior of our soul. He is the Lord of our life. 
He is the daily communication we have with God through him. In Jesus' name, we say. Do you know Jesus? Have you ever accepted him as your personal Savior? Wouldn't you like to do that right now? Wouldn't you like to open your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I've danced around this issue of long enough. I want you to come and live within my heart. Be my Savior. Forgive my sin. Give me the gift of eternal life, which you promise to all those who will receive you. I receive you today, Lord Jesus, as my Savior. I ask you to come and live within my life. Hey, if you do that, we have some information that will help you grow. We'll be happy to send it to you. Let us know you received Christ. We'll send it to you right away. And don't forget to join us tomorrow as we begin this discussion. Jesus, is he the teacher of truth or the truth to be taught? Right here on Turning Point. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If Turning Point is strengthening your walk with the Lord, drop us a line at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new 365-day devotional for 2024, Walking with Jesus. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also stream more than 1,200 of Dr. Jeremiah's messages on demand on our streaming service, Turning Point Plus, for a monthly gift of any amount. Visit turningpointplus.org for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue The Jesus You May Not Know on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. We celebrate Christmas every year, but have you ever wondered why? Why Mary? Why Joseph? Why a newborn king? In the film called Why the Nativity, Dr. David Jeremiah gives you a front row seat as you travel back in time to experience the sights and sounds of this pivotal moment, the birth of Jesus. Make this your new Christmas tradition. Why the Nativity is available to stream for free at whythenativity.org. Watch it today for free at whythenativity.org. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. Christmas will be here before you know it. So now is the time to prepare your heart with a timeless devotional written by Dr. David Jeremiah called Season of Joy. Enter the Christmas season with restored hope, resounding joy, reassuring peace, and renewed faith. This inspirational book is yours for a gift of any amount in support of Turning Point. And for a gift of $100 or more, you'll receive a four-pack to share the season of joy with others. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. The Christmas story is full of interesting characters like John the Baptist. We know him as the preacher in the wilderness who called people to repentance before Jesus appeared. But did you know John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus? 
Jesus' mother Mary and John's mother Elizabeth were related, which makes Jesus and John cousins. Whenever I think about John the Baptist, I'm amazed by something he said about his relationship with Jesus. He said, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. That's a fitting message to remember at Christmas when it's all too easy to make the holiday about us instead of about Him. And this is David Jeremiah. And that is the Christmas story on Route 66. Driving the word home this Christmas on Route 66. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.